0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, someone I've wanted to talk to since I got into this music, really. From Repo Man, from The Circle Jerks, from his own solo records, from Mike Watts, Ball Hog, or Tugboat. From uh, uh, the Weirdos, from Joe Strummer's solo record, Xander Schloss is here, and it is a fantastic conversation. He's got a great solo record, too, that we'll get into in a bit. But first, if you would like to get in touch with the podcast, please head over to the email address turned out podcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. He also runs a Instagram page at turnedatapunk as well as a Facebook page, facebook.com slash turned for the show as well. Thank you, Tristan, for all of your hard work, buddy. I love you. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by heading over to turn and buying a t-shirt and no, 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 no. It's by telling all your friends about it. Of course, let all your friends know that, you know that we do this podcast each and every week. You can also support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash turned And thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that does do that. It, keeps the lights on around this place so it really does mean a lot uh and uh speaking of uh stuff that keeps the lights on I will be going on tour with my band fucked up if you are listening to this when this episode drops and you are live on the west coast of the United States of America check your local local listings or head over to fuckedup.cc while you're there or if if you're even not in one of those places that we're coming on tour while you're there check out we have some records that. I've been reissued recently by Matador Records with David Comes to Life, which is what we're going to be going on tour playing from start to finish. Oh, my God. A lot of words in that record. And uh, also, Epics and Minutes has just been reissued on the great Get Better record. So please check out those things. Also, we have put out in Fucked Up the Year of the Horse vinyl on Tank Crimes Records, run by our buddy Scotty Karate, my buddy, our buddy. I, I mix them together. My buddy, Scotty Karate. And uh yeah. On to today's show. Today on the show, from the band The Circle Jerks, from the band The Weirdos, from Joe Strummer Solo Records, from Ball Hog or Tugboat. Well, piss bottle man specifically on that record. A classic track. Uh, And from his own awesome solo record, which is coming out very soon, Xander Schloss is on the show today. Xander is someone who I've been fascinated for a very long time with. I think, you know, knowing that he was the guy in Repo Man who wound up being in the Circle Jerks, he, he was a punk legend. You know, I was introduced to him as a punk legend, but never really knew his origin stories. Like, even prior to him coming on the show, my brother and I were talking and kind of speculating about how he got into this whole thing. So it's awesome to get this kind of experience to do this thing and get to sit down with someone and kind of see, you know, where, where they actually came from. And my gosh, it's a good story. Get ready for this one. Uh, Xander, as I said, off the top has this incredible solo record that I've heard a few of the songs off of not everything yet. Uh, songs about songs is going to be coming out, I believe March 4th and you can find out more information on the net if you look up Xander Schloss' solo album or Xander Schloss, uh, check out his... Actually, they just released a brand new single, Dead Friend Letter, which is fantastic. You can hear it streaming on all your favorite streaming services, including the YouTube. So check it out where you uh, hear your music. And totally different than what he does in The Circle Jerks. And so to hear him discuss... His, his feelings on, you know, punk music in general and how he reconciles that with the music he got into. Anyway, I'm, I'm spoiling for you. You're going to hear it all. Uh, I don't think there's anything more for me to ramble on about, except for the fact that the Circle Jerks are going on tour, an epic tour with incredible bands. Uh, they, Negative Approach is doing some dates. Adolescents are doing some dates. Uh, seven seconds are doing some dates. You can find out more information at circlejerks.net. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't believe this tour. It is coming to Toronto. So I'm very excited to see it. It's the 40th anniversary tour and, uh, yeah, they're, they're doing a ton of dates. So hopefully coming to a town near you. Uh, that's it. Uh, this is a good one. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Oh, let me, let me quickly check if I have any notes from this episode. Uh, Mahu Vishu orchestra, I think is a better pronunciation than I fumble for on the show. And, uh, I think that's my only note. Yeah, I think that's it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Xander Schloss on Turned Out a Punk. Xander, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. Well, as I was just telling you off air, uh, the Circle Jerks hold a very special place in my heart. And uh, I feel like I had to fight to be a fan of yours because my stepfather, hearing the name of the band, informed me that I was never going to be allowed to like some, and I quote, come in your face band. Uh, he said that at the, at the dinner table one night. He's like, you guys are not going to go see some come in your face band on your reunion tour when you're supposed to come to Toronto. Uh, Holy which, cow yeah that made us want to go more though so you know and here i am like that was a very you guys didn't make that show unfortunately but uh at that show i met our future guitar player in my band and and it really set my life on a path so even in abstentia you influenced me i would just say you know you should tell your dad get get
1: your mind out of the gutter dad (laughs) stop stringing jizz all over this you know this band it's not about the the cum and the jizz and you know the sperm whatever you want to call it
0: my 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 actual dad is much cooler and was totally down for me liking the circle jerks this was my stepfather who believe me was much dirtier like his mind was in the gutter long before he heard the name of the circle jerks Damien, do you want me to come in his face I I, I just don't know if I want to see I just don't know if I want to see my stepfather again period in any position um okay. but anyway well, this is not my therapy this is this is turned out of punk so we got to start this off the way they all start off which is i gotcha xander how did you get into punk do you remember the first time you ever heard the term well <clears throat> i do and uh off air
1: we were talking about it uh you know the, your standard intro and stuff like that and i really hope that uh your listeners or you don't get disappointed but i first heard of, heard of punk while i was actually uh uh, let's see, 1979. I don't mean to date myself, but, uh, that's the year that I graduated Mm -hmm. and, uh, remember hearing the sex pistols and stuff like that. Um, and, um, uh, honestly I was in the, uh, high school jazz band and playing in trios and, um, taking jazz lessons (laughs) and, uh, I ended up living with my jazz teacher for a year um, because I wanted to be a professional musician and I wanted to be the consummate musician and know all my theory and how to read and arrange and orchestrate and my uh, arpeggios, my, you know, uh, inversions, you know, all, all, the, all the stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? And so yeah, when I when I first heard heard of the Sex Pistols and I first started seeing people, you know, with safety pins in their nose and chains, you know, coming off of their, you know, safety pins and whatever, uh I I I just I just was like, wow. This is weird. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't like it was like that's me. You know, yeah, what makes yeah. me What makes me punk, I think, is my really horrible, shitty attitude and the (laughs) fact that mixed with my my terrible, terrible attitude, I'm a really nice guy and uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a principled and moral guy, which I find a lot of the old school punks, you know, especially like, say, for instance, we're talking about how did I find find punk rock? Well, The Clash's first album, I, I heard that as well. And I was like, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, it sounds like a garage band. It sounds like a rock and roll band. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't floored by it, but uh, I ended up working with, with Joe Strummer oh, yeah. um, as his, his musical director and guitar player post Clash for several years and did film soundtracks and toured with him and made a solo record with him. And the way my entrance into, to that was through Sandinista backwards because i saw the development of of the band uh the clash in a way that many other bands develop you know um where it's like they had started experimenting with with all sorts of different genres of music and were were very inclusive of of different cultures and different ideas uh in their music and different instrumentation they had horn sections and they had you know keyboards and stuff that that uh um you know i you know i don't mean to to pull the covers but bands like that are pure like kind of like hardcore like circle jerks Mm -hmm. we don't have that kind of stuff we don't have harmonies and we don't have you know keyboards and there's there's rules (laughs) the fucking punk rock cops say that you can't do that stuff but to me, my way into punk was was seeing that the class was breaking breaking those barriers, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, I will not listen to the punk rock cops, you know. I don't I don't abide by the judge and the jury. You know what I mean? I think that when I initially got into the circle jerks in, in the golden days of, of uh you know 1984, which I'm I'm of course not a founding member, but I, I joined shortly after. Um, it seemed like a community to me where there was absolutely no division between the people that were booking these shows, the fans, the other bands, uh, everybody was doing everything and they were doing it together and they were some of the nicest people, um, with some pretty gnarly rappers, but you know what I mean? It's like, I understood that the, that, that the toughest guy was actually the toughest looking guy was actually the nicest, most generous uh and kind person and to me that's what that's what punk rock represented to me when I first got into it because I didn't understand it on a musical level I was going for a, a much more intellectual and lofty sort of uh approach to music
0: um go ahead it's interesting you bring up like the punk rock cop thing because that seems to be something that you know people talk about when they're on the show coming in with hardcore like in the first wave of la punk rock like you look at the screamers you look at gun club you look at you know x like all these bands were not doing the same thing like they were all like you know not necessarily you know they weren't you know mahu vishu orchestra or anything but they were at the same time they were they were doing different stuff musically and then at a certain point hardcore comes and that's when the rules come in
1: yeah and you know, I um, also started playing with the band, a uh, Los Angeles band, which is thought of as as one of the the very first, if not the first, punk rock bands in Los Angeles, the the Weirdos. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, my um, my impression of the Weirdos were that the Weirdos were more like an art rock band, you know, with with leanings towards pop. Because their songs had such great melodies, and you know, John Denny is is like he's a dear friend of mine to this day. Um, and uh, it was so musical, you know. And Dix is a consummate guitarist, um, yeah. and so I saw that the, the merit in in the musicianship there, and the outfits that we wore were not like just t shirts and and tennis shoes and and jeans and stuff we were like putting together outlandish outfits i once had a a a coat with like monk a chimpanzee fur collar <laughs> like that i would wear <laughs> and like i could like you know i could like kind of like i don't know dress dress for the stage with the weirdos and play more than just downstrokes at 200 beats per minute you know what i mean yeah. Yeah, kind of caveman approach which i appreciate and everything don't get me wrong it's uh it takes a lot of um stamina and it takes a lot of um um finesse to play punk rock that kind of punk rock right Mm -hmm. but what i'm saying is like that my impression was that there were bands like x and there were bands like the plugs um and um you know um Bands that were the oh, uh, I was gonna say the blasters, yeah, were, you know, were based on like you know more traditional blues and stuff, and that their pockets were, were a lot deeper as far as their influences. And you know, I don't mean to sound like a fucking snob or anything, but those were the bands that I gravitated towards.
0: Well, it, it, well, it's also that's because that seems like that's the scene that emerges as that first wave of punk bands you know which the weirdos were certainly a part of as well but like other bands were kind of like leaving punk and going more towards like blues country other genres you know in the wake of hardcore coming in and it's amazing because the circle jerks are probably you know like a black flag as well obviously as well but like you know circle jerks and black flag one and two rolling stones and Beatles of of american hardcore right yeah and it's, it's
1: amazing that i I kind of got jumped into that whole scene, you know, unawares, you know, like literally, like I said, I just, I had come from, um, um, you know, living with my jazz teacher and I'll make an admission here on your show for your, your dear listeners that I, I came up to Los Angeles to go to a a music school that a lot of people think is, is a joke, musicians Institute. Okay. But the reason, the reason for me doing that was I didn't want to become a shredder like Eddie Van Halen is is like uh, uh, a, an alumni of, of musicians' institute as, and as well as John Frusciante. Mm. Um, but uh, I came up here to get into the competitive, you know, stream uh, and try to become a professional musician. And my first outing, like in Los Angeles, on stage was in a band called juicy bananas which is appears on the uh repo man soundtrack and we were we were a funk and soul band that strictly played down in compton and uh inglewood and and watts area
0: well i was going to ask like what was the juicy bananas scene that you were cutting were there like other bands doing that because like that that is such a unique song that's on that soundtrack are there more recordings too that stuff
1: no there were no no more recordings of, of of that band there there's recordings that are drifting around probably that were uh other songs that were used in the repo man soundtrack but uh you know my uh my first gig in los angeles was the wax tower festival oh yeah and i literally met the drummer at a 7-eleven i used to go to the 7-eleven i don't know if you remember the the uh video game donkey kong Yeah. <laughs> So I loved playing Donkey Kong and I was in the 7-Eleven and I saw the, the drummer, uh, I mean, the cashier had a, a pair of drumsticks and it was, you know, black guy. And I, I said, I said, you a musician? He said, yeah. He said, you a musician? I said, yeah. And he said, what kind of music do you play? And I said, what kind of music do you play? And he said, I play funk. I said, I play funk too. And he said, well, we're playing a gig tomorrow. Uh, Why don't you come down and and sit in with us? And I said, okay. So he gave me his address. I kind of got lost. I ended up in some alleyway uh, and they were loading up their gear. And uh, as we drove to to the gig, they're like, don't worry about rehearsing. You know, just get up there, you know, and just, you know, improvise. And because of my jazz studies, I was able to do that. You know what I mean. And and I got on stage in front of five thousand mainly African Americans and played. You know, uh, with the Juicy Bananas for the first time, and it was an accident. It sort of set me off into this world of of like, you know, playing house parties down in Inglewood and Compton area and lingerie shows and weddings and stuff like that
0: like Mm -hmm. just weird ass gigs dude it's it's amazing too because la is such an incredible place for you know all entertainment but music specifically because there's just so many micro scenes and cultures happening on top of each other that you know unless you're tapped in you'd have no idea like i have no idea what a lingerie show is right Right? Yeah. Like it's completely different than the worlds that i've ever seen in los angeles like and it's you know like people said nothing was going to come positive out of video game playing video games like donkey kong and here you are finding a band out of playing donkey kong well what's even
1: weirder is that you know like i i was in the, the film repo man i played kevin yes. the nerd and repo man and and out of that um you know i had met the circle jerks on the set and i was like hey guys hi, my name is Xander. I play Kevin the nerd. And they, I guess they were tired and grumpy and they just kind of walked right by me. But uh, I ended up, um, you know, like kind of like a little bit disappointed with that, that meeting. And later on, I'm like, I'm kind of like, you know, living on Hollywood Boulevard in this office building called Palmer building between Cosmo and Ivar and paying a hundred bucks for a 10 by 10 office. Um, with no bathroom, no kitchen, no phone, no TV, a brick wall outside my window, because I had decided that I was no longer going to like work at the Chinese theater or at the hot dog stand, uh, or the taco stand or any of that kind of stuff. I was going to hold out for, um, you know, being a professional musician, um, and, you know, I take jobs like I know it sounds Dickensian the way I describe this stuff, but it's like I take jobs like setting up the circus when it came to town. And I go down to the unemployment office and find temp jobs and stuff like that to hold me over. But one day I was walking out of the uh, doorway of the Palmer building, counting pennies for for burritos. I was going to go to Los Burritos up the, up the street. And a car pulls up, not unlike Repo Man, where Otto gets jumped into being a Repo Man. And they say, hey, circle jerks are looking for a bass player. I was like, why the fuck are you talking to me? And they said, you look like you could use a gig, kid. <laughs> and so <laughs> I took down the number, I called, I, I got Greg Hudson on the phone. He says, we want you to learn these three songs. I think it might've been Coup d'etat, Shit Hits the Fan and Wild in the Streets. I said, you know, I got off the phone. I was like, fuck you, dude. I'll learn all three records and come in and blow away all the fucking competition. And because of my jazz training, that's exactly what I did.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, I guess it's like believing in yourself, too. Like knowing that you're you're going to take that risk because you know that if you're not making this art, if you're not making music, you're not going to be able to function. You're not going to be happy.
1: Yeah. It's, it's been my passion since I was like 12 years old. Like I, I've never had more than a few minutes without a guitar in my hand. I'm I'm mainly a guitarist, and mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and so you know, I was like I said, moved to Los Angeles to get into the competitive stream, and ended up like kind of broke and like you know, <laughs> just anything that would have come along at the time, I would have taken, and <laughs> Literally, it was the circle jerks. It couldn't have been like a a weirder situation for me with with all the background that I'd had coming from Missouri playing, you know, country and bluegrass and like coming out to, you know, uh, California and, you know, kind of like Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and wanting to become a guitar hero to playing in the juicy, you know, jazz and then the juicy bananas. And then the circle jerks come along.
0: You know right. and i yeah. end up
1: being a fucking bass player in the seminal hardcore band
0: so was the first time you're playing with the circle jerks the first time you'd ever seen like a live punk rock or like specifically a live hardcore show or had you been to other punk or hardcore shows prior no because i i
1: was like a, an aspiring actor yeah as well i was in another movie um and uh the director of that movie took me down to the Olympic auditorium or, or actually he was direct, sorry, he was directing a video for suicidal tendencies, a song that actually appeared in, in repo man. It's like, all I want is Pepsi, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Institutionalized. institutionalized. Yeah. So I had like a little, like, kind of like background guy role in, in uh, the first uh, video of the institutionalized and the director took me down to the Olympic auditorium and I don't know if you know of this, this venue, but it's like, it was like a hurricane. <laughs> the, the mosh pit was like a fucking human hurricane. And people were jumping up on the stage and like, you know, uh, jumping off, off the stage. And I thought, wow, this is wild, man. Like, holy crap. You know, how do you, I, and oddly enough, I came up across town to deliver the director back to his, his place in Santa Monica. And I ran into the bass player. At a (laughs) Uh, 7-Eleven. Everything everything stems from 7-Eleven. And late night, he's getting some snacks and stuff. I said, you're the bass player from from, uh, Suicidal Tendencies. How do you play with all those people dancing all around you and, like, jumping off the stage and stuff like that? He said, you know, I I don't know. I just don't pay attention to them. I get by or whatever. Two weeks later, I'm auditioning (laughs) for the Circle jerks.
0: (laughs) Um, I guess going back, how did you wind up getting into uh, Repo Man? Like, how did you get cast in that? Like, just auditioning?
1: Well, it's it, it all kind of stem it stem from the juicy bananas, and also the fact that when I was um, up here uh, attending Musicians Institute, I spent most of my time down at UCLA Film School because um, uh, my my stepsister Abby Wool was uh, in film school. And I made up a flyer that I was an aspiring film composer Mm. Um, and I made up a flyer and I said, I will score your student film for free. And I did do a couple of student films down there. And I ran into a a graduate student named uh, Alex Cox, who took a liking to me. um, And he took a liking to the juicy bananas. So initially I was just uh, supposed to contribute music to uh repo man. But I think as Alex sort of like saw my like, like hopelessly nerdy personality and stuff, mm-hmm. he kind of, I, I would say, and I, this is unfounded that he kind of wrote me into the script as Kevin, the nerd,
0: <laughs> uh, you know, did you meet Mike Nesmith? Cause he produced the uh, soundtrack, right?
1: Yes, I did. In fact, Mike, I was almost not in Repo Man because um, the day that I was cast in Repo Man, the producers also negotiated with Chris Penn, who was Sean Penn's uh, younger brother's agent. And um, at the end of the day, uh, they said, "Uh, sorry, dude, you're not going to play Kevin the nerd. Um, We negotiated with Chris Penn's agents and Chris is going to be playing the part. (laughs) And so I was like, fuck you. (laughs) I am Kevin, the nerd, and I was working as a production assistant on the set. You know, Alex gave me a job like cleaning up the cigarette butts and stuff like that on the on the lot. And I came back the next day and I had done this this haircut that was at the time like, just stay with me for a second. I thought this would be the nerdiest thing, like like a Travis Bickle from uh, Taxi Driver, but not all the way you know what i mean yeah so i kind of shaved my my sides down to just a nub and had a full mohawk and i came back to to the set that day to demonstrate you're making a big mistake i am fucking kevin the nerd (laughs) and uh chris penn did his first scene in repo man and i was actually there because i was a production assistant delivering the dailies um and i i I was lurking in the in the in the doorway when Michael Nesmith said to Alex Cox, this guy is fucking horrible. And no offense, you know, R.I.P. rest in peace, Chris Ben. What are we gonna do? And Alex said, Well, I originally, you know, offered the role to to Xander. He said, Let's give him a shot. But they didn't tell me for two weeks. So I continued to act like I didn't know. <laughs> and i would never acted a day in my life it's another situation like the circle jerks where it's like they said well you you know there here's this opportunity and i just said yes and figured it out you know what i mean
0: yeah did you how long after making that film did you kind of get a sense that it had become like a cult phenomena like was it like a matter of like almost instantaneously because it was like playing midnight showings for years after it came out Well, honestly, that film,
1: um, basically, um, had a a limited, uh, theatrical release and was pulled out of the theaters based on the fact that, um, it wasn't doing good, good ticket sales and Siskel and Ebert, uh, reviewed the film. In fact, I was there in Chicago, um, at the screening and, um, they loved it. So it got some, it's got a great review. But the reason why Universal re released it into the theaters was on the basis of another groundbreaking um, um, thing, which was the very first compilation of uh, rec- soundtrack record of bands that supported the film. You know, as you mm-hmm. know, the Repo Man soundtrack contains Fear burning sensations, uh suicidal tendencies, the circle jerks, black flag and the juicy bananas of course. Yeah. Um which is the only non-punk rock entity on the album. But based on the the sales, the incredible sales of the soundtrack, this groundbreaking soundtrack record, they re, they gave it another um, chance in the theaters. It's anyway, sorry to, to- To answer your question Mm -hmm. i kind of knew that this was a special film i was there when alex was writing the script and there were so many memorable lines um and then when i was introduced to to the cast of of the film they were such extraordinary people and it was such a tight-knit sort of like cast which of course alex was the kind of director that brought actors from that film into the other films that he was making which you know thank God you know I got to 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 be in a bunch of Alex Cox's films um but I could tell on the basis of the script and the cast that it was going to be something special
0: it's interesting you bring up that soundtrack because that thing selling like it did winds up being a lot of people's first exposure to punk not only when it first comes out but through secondary market sales like I remember buying the repo man soundtrack used on vinyl like it was before it was reissued on CD, like that was a record that was accessible. And like you're saying, like, there are so many bands that, you know, it was hard to find fear records at that point. Like it was certainly hard to find, you know, even, well, Black Flag was still in print, but SST was really expensive in my local record store. So that was like a good way to get all these bands in one place.
1: Well, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a brilliant idea. And now of course they have music supervisors and their soundtracks for, for every album. Yeah. I mean for every film, you know, they have a soundtrack album. But um I guess what was I gonna say as LA Inc. introduces people to the art of tattoos, you know, Repo Man soundtrack introduces people to punk. Yeah. You see what I mean? When it yeah. becomes sort of pop and available. Um, widespread, widespread available, then people can sense into it like celebrity rehab. Like what person in, in like bumfuck Iowa knows about rehabs and stuff like that until they watch celebrity rehab. And then it's... they're like, well, well, uh, Gary Busey has a problem. So therefore, you know, I'm going to take a look at my situation and like, uh, you know, maybe I'll need to go to rehab.
0: <laughs> it, it definitely feels like, uh, like these, these, yeah, like these things, you need these things to kind of pop up in order to kind of populate like the next generation of kids that will be, uh, be parts of the scene. Like you need like repo man having this soundtrack that's widely available and gets hugely popular. So kids can get into it and wind up being the next generation of kids at these shows.
1: Yeah. We probably destroyed a lot of kids lives. (laughs) There's probably like a bunch of like dead junkies and, alcoholics and people
0: living in their grandma's basement shooting up you know but there's a lot of people that also found their paths in life through through it too right like i don't know what the hell i'd be doing without it you know like i really do think it's something that when when you you need it you find it too there are some horrible stories as well no of course there
1: are and i've, I've seen some incredible success stories from it too and it, it dawned on me when we you know we playing and you know, people that were um, really successful in, in X Games and extreme sports were coming to visit and saying, hey, man, I first learned how to to like I'm like a professional skier and I do these crazy flips and jumps and stuff. The first time I ever did that was off the stage when you guys were playing <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: and skateboarders and stuff like that. And of course, other musicians, we've had a widespread influence on a lot of very successful people
0: oh yeah no it's it's i was reading the guy who invented the moderna vaccines a punk rock guy you know it's like it really does you know it's it's amazing where different people went you know like how many actors or film directors or how many people on this podcast talk about like the first time going to a show was seeing the circle jerks come to town like it really wonder
1: that damn vaccine's not working
0: (laughs) 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 fucking punk rock
1: motherfucking moderna mother (laughs) no i'm a pfizer man so i don't know
0: team pfizer (laughs) versus team moderna i got both in canada they gave us both so i'm i'm uh i'm neutral in the very canadian kind of way what was what was it like playing with the circle jerks the first time where you actually are confronted with this reality of, of people like jumping all over you like people climbing all over the stage well
1: it's funny you should ask that because the circle jerks put me through this kind of like uh phasing sort of like, or hazing, yeah. sort of like situation. And I think our first tour, we went up the West Coast and I I was supposed to wear a tuxedo on stage. And up until that time, I had just played in rehearsal. So, you know, in rehearsal, everybody's standing around and just playing their instruments. So we got on stage, they clicked off the fir- first song Greg's jumping in the air. Keith is Keith is being a wild man. And the drummer is like spinning his sticks and making all these crazy faces and stuff. And I kind of looked around and I was like, oh shit, I guess I better get moving. So I start jumping around and like, you know, uh trying to be punk rock and stuff like that. And the song ends, you know, they begin like it's like they end almost as when they begin. They're so the, the songs are so fast and so you know, so short. Yeah. And as a result of my celebrity, my new celebrity in Repo Man, people were like wanting to shake my hand. So I'm at the the head of the stage shaking hands. And the next song clicks off. And I'm still shaking hands. I missed I'm the <laughs> intro to the next song. So the rest of the tour, we did probably like a two-month national tour or something like that. They put down a, a piece of duct tape back by my ampeg speaker cabinet, and I couldn't move beyond that that <laughs> that line
0: uh what what was it like seeing kids react like that to music that you're making like obviously you perform performed before and seen people react to music that you you've been putting out there but like to see the kind of that sort of visceral response to what you're putting out
1: well i mean it it was really it's, I, of course it's palpable you know and it's it's like um if if you're not like um if you're not used to it, you would think that people are, are losing their fucking minds, you know, and they're they're spinning around in circles and throwing elbows and beating each other up. And they're literally you're literally driving them crazy with this music that you're making. Maybe they're a little crazy to begin with, <laughs> but it was um, I understood almost immediately that the music we had the, the power to um Create and direct intense energy into the audience, which would then cycle back to us and feed us. And there was this incredible connective circle of energy. I don't mean to sound like
0: a hippie or something like that, but no, it's real. It Talk, huh? It's, no, real. it's real. Yeah, exactly. It's very real what you're talking about. And I learned very quickly, also,
1: that, you know, how I could contribute to that and how I could derive energy from that um, and that it was um, it was an incredible thing and it was an incredible merit of the music for people to blow off steam and for people who were angry and there were good reasons to be angry there's still good reasons to be angry and punk rock is still here man because it, and it's, it's never going to go away hate and love you know rising tides raise all boats all boats you know what i mean Mm -hmm. hate and love are rising at the same time hate's never going anywhere man you know that aggression is never going anywhere
0: one thing that people talk about about that era specifically in los angeles is just the the level of well i guess when the hate kind of overtook the love a little bit and there was like a moment in la where the shows got almost too violent for a lot of bands like a lot of bands broke up or or you know uh, just well moved on to different genres or things like that w- did you notice that were like shows really violent at that time or is specific? oh you mean yeah. when the jocks came up from south bay yeah like <laughs> just sort of that sort of like era like of, of shows yeah like the gangs you always hear about the gangs they've even made documentaries and books about that now well because it became kind
1: of a sport mm-hmm. you know what i mean and mm-hmm. uh like i witnessed such heinous violence through those years especially in the 80s and like i said you know the the, punk rock seemed inclusive and about community and like there were women playing punk rock and there were people of all colors and you know um and you know gay people playing punk rock and then it became this sort of jockey hardcore like beat the fucking living crap out of people and you know maybe some you know, I'm not going to point any fingers. I don't want to get in any in any trouble, but, but maybe there were some clubs and maybe there were some gangs and stuff that contributed to that.
0: It, it feels like it was just where, um, yeah, it just got too heavy like that. And that seems to be something that people talk about It's just got really heavy. Like, was that different in other parts of the country when you guys, cause you guys are touring out around that time a lot. Like, was it, Different going to other places, or is that something you saw in other scenes as well, where there was a lot more violence that shows around that era?
1: Some some places were more violent than others. Uh, I will have to say that the great state of Florida sort of takes the cake,
0: mm.
1: you know, and that's because of a lot of the the neo-Nazi faction down there, and we we get a lot of skinheads, you know, um at the shows, policing the shows, and sometimes the promoters would just pay them or give them a you know. A, you know uh, a case of beer or something you know so that they wouldn't come in the shows yeah but yeah you know people got wind of the fact i i, I mean i said unfounded theory but that there was violence there and they could participate in violence in these shows
0: yeah i hear also because you guys are the most high profile band like these people would come out of nowhere to your show specifically because you know, like, you're on the soundtrack to Repo Man, there's, like, a, an awareness of Circle Jerks that there isn't for some of the smaller bands, so, like, you'd even have more people that would hear about it being a place where people could just mosh and go crazy. In some places, yeah. obviously, not everywhere.
1: Yeah, I would I would say so, you know.
0: What, uh, what were some of your favorite places to play?
1: Oddly enough, I, I really enjoyed playing in Canada. I'm, I'm not kissing your ass or anything <laughs> like that, but um, I remember there were some very very nice people up in Canada, um, and of course you know um, bands like DOA and SNFU and No Means No, um, really fucking great bands. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and of course you know, being the, the the music musical guy that I was, I was looking at who's who in these bands are the are the great musicians. Um, of, of course, you know, when we go to the East Coast and we play like, uh, you know, Washington, DC or New York City with the bad brains, I was like, I'm sold. Like, I'm floored by these guys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The musicianship was so incredible and the energy, stop on a dime, like fast tempos and incredible musicianship. Um, so, yeah, like uh, DC, New York City was a great place to play you know with like bands like murphy's law and stuff like that who i really love jimmy gestapo shout out to jimmy and uh you know um you know canada
0: yeah you guys you guys are the guys that really keep it going you know especially on the national touring circuit at the point where you know pre nirvana and everything kind of changing like there there was almost like it it peaked and it valleyed and circle jerks were the band that seems kind of waved the flag on the national touring circuit when not a lot of their bands were doing it
1: yeah we grounded out we you know uh i i don't want to sound like you know because they they did some some of the groundwork before i arrived but it's like we kind of like you know laid on the barbed wire so a lot of other you know people could jump over our backs you Mm -hmm. know
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you wind up doing Straight to Hell. I guess it's a few years between the, the films. Were you trying to, were you acting at that point or are you 100% in the Circle Jerks?
1: No, I was doing a number of things at the same time. I literally was, was on the national touring circuit with the Circle Jerks and contributing music, composing um, music for feature films um, and acting in feature films. So I kind of like go off on location and like, you know, Spain, Almeria, Spain and, <clears throat> and do straight to hell. Um, contribute to the soundtrack and then uh, go on, on tour with circle jerks. And, you know, oddly enough, that was, um, you know, uh, I contributed music as I'm not credited on Sid and Nancy, but I'm playing all the guitars in the, uh, in the score. Okay. Yeah. Um. And for union, you know, problems. You know, they they couldn't uh, they couldn't uh, give me a, a credit. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, that's where I met Joe Strummer. He was leaving the the studio as we were arriving, and it was kind of a similar thing where I was introduced to Joe Strummer, and he must have been in a terrible mood that day because he just kind of grumbled and walked by. But the next time I saw Joe was when I arrived to the Almeria hotel in, in Spain to um, start filming for straight to hell. And I was greeted by a very different Joe who greeted me in the lobby. And he was like, Santa, you know, see here, you know, your character, Carl needs to have a song to, to sell his wieners. <laughs> and before I could even unpack my bags, I'm, I brought my guitar with me because I bring my guitar wherever I go. Joe and I and a guy named Miguel Sandoval who also acted in the film are sitting down to write salsa e ketchup. <laughs> and if, are you
0: familiar with the song? Oh yeah, that movie's uh, one of my favorites, classic.
1: So, you if you really listen to the lyrics, you can tell the the lines that Joe wrote. He like started out he said, "Well, there ain't nothing meaner than a wiener from Pasadena." <laughs> And then I said, at Carl's Disco Wiener Tina Haven. And uh, I think Miguel was like, and you won't find nothing leaner than your mean chili beater. Uh, and then I was like, Joe was like, sizzle, they grizzle. And I said, you step up to the griddle. Salsa, you catch up. And I was like, you tell me and I'll fetch you. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it goes on until like the second verse where you could really tell Joe's influence that I'd, I'd be, well, they're short and they're long. And Joe says, and they taste quite strong, you know? <laughs> I was like, Oh, cool. And then you really can tell Joe's influence when he was like, Oh, we got girls in their Chevys coming in from the levees. Cause he loved the Amer- old American cars. Yeah. And I was like, just for my disco wiener,
0: Tina Haven.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, it was incredible, dude.
0: Yeah, you always hear that. Well, I don't know. Uh, I always hear that he was just um such an inspiring person in in that way. Like he's just someone that just just inspired people to be creative, like to try new things and musically. And like someone that I've I've only really begun to appreciate more, especially like the stuff post Clash in recent years.
1: Yeah. Well Joe was very curious about me because I was like going around with my guitar and I'm I'm jamming with Elvis Costello on the set and Shane McGowan and you know with the locals that were flamenco guitar players and learning like flamenco technique and stuff like that and I could see Joe kind of lurking around like oh, what's up with this kid and I think uh we got drunk one night and I was like he says, what you? he says, what are you doing playing with the circ- bass with the circle jokes? You're such an incredible guitar player. I said, well, I don't know, Joe. Why don't you let me play guitar for you? He said, you don't want to play with me. I'm an old man. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you're an old man. He must have been like 34. Yeah, I know. It's incredible to think about that now. At the time, and, you know, the Clash had just broke up like a, a, a few years previous to that, the filming of that. But anyway, so we ended up going down to um, Nicaragua to film the film Walker. Um, And I was down there three months living in a living in a house in Granada with with Joe. And, uh, you know, same thing. I brought my guitar down. I was like kind of like curious about the music. And Joe, Joe was pretty much known for his curiosity as well as like his inclusiveness with people. you know, an interest in, in everybody and treating everybody like an equal, but anyway, so I go, you know, from making the film, um, to touring with the circle jerks. And I come home, I get a call from Joe. He says, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be going up to Russian Hill in San Francisco to record the score for Reaper for, for Walker. And I want you to, bring, come up and bring you a Spanish guitar. And I was like, okay. So I had been collecting like Latin instruments, um, you know, on all my travels, you know, to Spain and Mexico and blah, blah, blah. So I, I loaded up the car with many, many different Latin instruments that I had collected. And that was the first time I recorded with Joe was the Walker soundtrack. And I ended up playing guitar and, Huela and charanga and um the spanish laud and requinto guitar and all this fucking shit dude that's awesome yeah
0: i guess that's the other thing is like you know like you're saying he's got this this curiosity and, and is bringing that sort of i guess to reduce it to world music but like international influence into the music he's making around that time
1: yeah he, you know, and he he wouldn't he wouldn't, um, you know, uh, I don't know, bat an eye at, at the punk rock cops if they said, well, you can't fucking do that. You know what I mean? He's like, fuck you! I'm Joe Strummer. I'll fucking use whatever music he loved. All kinds of different music. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think he saw that kind of curiosity in me too, bringing my guitar and, you know, um, going and and. Um, finding some of the instruments that were, you know, special to the region and Central America and in Spain and stuff like that. So.
0: Yeah. Would you have a chance to take in much music, like going to concerts and stuff like that when you're making these films? Like how intensive is the shooting schedule?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I'd see music. With the, I'd go and see like the local flamenco players, you know, when we were filming um, straight to hell and it, it literally fucking blew my mind. Mm. I was like, holy shit, everybody and their cousin plays guitar better than anybody that I fucking know in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of like got like obsessed with Latin music. I think that was another thing that that Joe saw in me that that was that he dug because you know, we we were in a band called L- L- the Latino Rockabilly War. So he was trying to incorporate rock and roll, you know, rockabilly with
0: like a like a Latino sort of like slant, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can look at the, like bands that they picked to open for him on that initial Clash run. Like you've got early hip hop groups, you've got hardcore groups, you've got like like all sorts of types of music being brought into this sort of like world that is the Clash at that point. And exposing people to the, all this stuff for the first time in a lot of cases. And disco. Disco too,
1: yeah you know what i mean everybody's fucking down on disco and you know like the magnificent seven you know has a a radio clash has a disco
0: beat yeah (laughs) you know uh so i guess like what's it kind of like trying to juggle being on the road and also doing this acting thing like it seems like you're saying you're going right from set to tour that there must have been burnout like were you ever like it must have been hard to kind of maintain that I I was pretty
1: young when, when, when it was really, really going, you know? Um, And so I literally, I didn't have a home. I slept on people's couches and stuff like that. And like, you know, I ended up like basically quitting the circle jerks and uh, moving to London to, to play with Joe. Hmm. Um, And when I came back to Los Angeles, eventually I didn't, I didn't have a home. So it was it was not a, a big deal. I, I I didn't feel bad about being rootless or or not having a you know a, a home of my own at that point,
0: you know. Yeah. Um. So when you move back to Los Angeles, is that before Thelonious Monster comes back? How um. Long?
1: You know, Thelonious Monster came right around when uh, uh, I started playing with the Circle Jerks. I was sort of introduced to to the cast of oddball characters around and Bob Forrest being one of those characters and Anthony Kiedis and Flea and, uh, you know, Perry Farrell and the guys in Fishbone, Angelo and Norwood. And there was a whole, like I said, it was a community. So there was a whole group of people that were doing all kinds of different things, but we were all kind of friends. Um, and I don't know, I might've lost the point of what I was talking about.
0: No, I was just asking about the Thelodius monster, but like you're kind of answering right there, like how you got involved in that sort of scene and that that world, and like you're saying, it is almost a separate thing to the Circle Jerks world, even though there are overlaps.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Bob and and somebody else who who's now a famous person that I won't mention his name asked me because I lived with a coke dealer if I could go get them some coke, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so. <laughs> I'm 16 years sober now. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: <clears throat> Congratulations rate, on that too, please.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, and so you know, it's like okay, I'm I'm kind of being jumped into this gang. I better fucking show up with the coke. And uh, you know, Bob was like, "Well, you know, Dick Stenny is in Paris. Like, you know, will you play guitar with us?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." You know, so. I ended up playing guitar with Thelonious Monster. Um, I ended up playing bass with the Weirdos. Um, I started a band with Dick Rude from, uh, you know, Repo Man and, and Straight to Hell called the Two Free Stooges. Mm-hmm. And I was like one of the original guys. People said, you're a fucking mercenary. It's like you're playing four bands at a time. And, <clears throat> you know, you then you leave the states to go live with joe strummer in in (laughs) london it's like you're a fucking dick you're a mercenary i'm like literally the modern day template for what musicians are doing today is what i was doing back then i was eking out a living playing in in several different bands Mm -hmm. and committing to to no one really yeah you know
0: yeah and also like you're building this incredible resume where you've played with you know not just the circle jerks but like you know you've played with like the weirdos you play with all these other amazing people that played in these other projects too like you you wind up playing in all different sorts of bands and not limiting yourself to like one scene that way
1: and uh, I'll just say it goes back to my jazz training because I was able to retain all that musical information and play all those different styles and different instruments and you know do soundtrack work and Mm -hmm blah 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 you know when i go into the studio it was quick you know i didn't yeah. fear the red button and you know i always say you know if an opportunity comes say yes you know what i mean but be overly prepared for that opportunity which the jazz training did help me and education did help me because if you if you're not overly prepared you may not get another opportunity and what ended up happening with me it's because of all that shit that people would make fun of me for. It was literally what's like catapulted me and snowballed into various different, you know, things that I did.
0: Mm-hmm. What well, allowed you to keep living on your art and off your art and off your music. Yeah. Um, yeah. After all. Uh, I guess there's, there's so much stuff I'd want to talk to you about. And anytime you want to come back here, Xander, you know that the door is always open to talk more because this has been a huge thrill for me. Uh, oh
1: thanks Damien
0: but I gotta talk to you about probably the most influential record on me personally uh that is the ball hog or tugboat Mike watt record (laughs) specifically piss bottle man one of the greatest rock performances ever that thing is a monster that track Um, thanks man and I anyone who's on this show that that played on that record I got to get their memories from them um so what are your memories of of that project well I was
1: really honored that, that Mike Watt, who I the Minutemen were another band that I thought were incredible, incredible art rock band. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And yes, of course they're punk rock considered punk rock, but Mike Watt called me into the studio and I come in and he's got these surgeon pants on that are like, fucking like, dude, I could see probably about that much of his butt crack <laughs> for those viewers that can't are <clears throat> not seeing me on film. I'm, I'm demonstrating about six to seven inches of butt crack
0: and the of butt, a lot of butt,
1: a lot of butt. And the first thing that he says to me is, are you ready to get into the ring with what? And I'm like, well, okay. First of all, the wrestling, you know, influence and, you know, the, the, you know, is and it's like, and you're referring to yourself in the third person, the Royal Watt really, but As I, as I played, um, you know, and started like learning the track and stuff, he gave me one of the highest compliments that anybody has ever given me. And he said, dude, I've been kind of watching you and I don't really like guitar players that much. You remind me a lot of D Boone and you're, you're like, you're, you're really like one of my favorite guitar players. One of, one of a handful of favorite guitar players.
0: Damn that's the highest praise
1: the highest praise ever i was like holy shit i love the minute i love deep boom you know and and to hear that coming out of mike watt's mouth i was floored
0: yeah yeah well that and that track like it's the playing on it like it just it's like was that something that you guys did live because it's just like it's so unhinged sounding uh like, is there is it like were there multiple takes to get there or like you not know not many. It, yeah.
1: I played uh live with, with Bob, uh forget his last name from Clawhammer, was mm-hmm. the drummer, mm-hmm. and he was doing this his best to do Keith Moon. Yeah. And you know, uh, you know, Mike Watt is like the ox of, of uh of punk rock. I mean, he's literally you know, like the John Entwistle and, of yeah. Punk Rock. And so I thought, well, fuck, if they're doing that. You hear that that skiffling clean guitar. I said, "Well, I better start doing some windmills and start doing some Pete Townsend fucking fast flurries on on the guitar," and that's what I did. I was informed by what those guys were doing, and uh and then Joe Biza came in and, and made the noise on on top. And I think Petra Hayden came in and sang a a background vocal as an overdub. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the 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 rhythm section, the guitar, the bass, and the drums were were. Um, were all played uh as a as a section.
0: And like he, he I know he toured it but like they never did any sort of super show with everyone playing on it, right? I don't
1: think so. I I also uh you know, I think it was the only video that they did for that album was uh piss bottle man.
0: Yeah. And it was obviously
1: the It was obviously the hit and you know like <laughs> Evan Dando, you know, probably like one of the the handsomest men in in rock and roll at the time and the most fucked up and like at the time i was a pretty hard partier i partied with evan and uh i partied with a lot of people that were very fucking hard partiers dude yeah on the plaques yeah for like debauchery <laughs> yeah. um but yeah evan i, I remember evan kind of like standing on on the stage we're taking a break in the sound stage and he's like so does anybody have any coke here like <laughs> It's like, this is this is a video where, like, in a sense, there's got to be some coke in here. I'm like, come on, dude.
0: That video is, you know, I went back and rewatched it um, a, a couple weeks ago. And there's just so much stuff that it like it didn't even register on with me as a young kid, like the germs armbands, you know, like yeah. like you're saying, like the the who references, like stuff that I didn't pick up on that now as an adult, I'm like, oh my god, there's so much stuff in here to to dissect. And you see, yeah, you see the windmills in, in the video yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And that was
1: happening in, in the studio. I was doing the windmills <laughs> in the studio. But um, and the aliens, those two little aliens. <laughs> <laughs> nobody knows this but those two aliens one of them was a, a woman named seven mcdonald who uh is uh country joe mcdonald from country joe and the fish's daughter oh wow. kind of like you know like hippie rock like royalty yeah. yeah And the other little alien was Sophia coppola francis ford <laughs> coppola's daughter
0: yeah wow no i had no idea about that that is definitely some amazing new trivia from that thing too yeah uh, it's it is uh like you're saying you know you weren't you were in bands with some of the hardest partying people in the history of music you know some people that didn't survive the party and it's yeah it's kind of it's amazing when you look back on it like how many people just don't make it out like there's there are people that do of course and that's uh, even more amazing but like it's just tragic how many people aren't able to to survive this thing
1: yeah it's it's like you, there's there's a few different outcomes of it you know death or you know um you know, some people still slugging it out out there but um and then people that you know get clean or you know sober i mean i remember like risking the the, the band like coming into canada because you guys have a strong border but i used to put my heroin inside these tootsie rolls so that the dogs could sniff the, sniff the heroin. But inevitably you think, Oh, you know, it's cool. I'll just like bring a little bit and I'll be able to score heroin. And you know, I've, I've been to Vancouver. There's a lot of junkies up there and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you end up doing all your, your heroin, like in Toronto and going across your great continent, you know, fucking dope. Sick.
0: Big country to drive across when you're sick. I imagine
1: yeah and it sucks touring when you're dope sick dude yeah i can only imagine
0: that yeah i just increased the alcohol intake yeah yeah well and that's and that's the other problem with this industry too is the fact that 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 there always is alcohol too like there mm-hmm. are always and if especially if someone you're who's struggling with you know dependency and stuff it's hard to get away from it because it's everywhere you go it's in your workplace every day yeah yeah and you know if you're in a, in a seminal
1: band like the the circle church you can get a bottle of, of whiskey and not share
0: yeah you know yeah. and people are happy to buy it for you because it's mm-hmm. like their way of of paying respects but like yeah it's it's a uh it's sad when you start thinking about like you know the people that this has just ruined their lives you know as amazing as it is there's also people that it, it's also destroyed them like you said earlier
1: well, you know, and I, I have to speak to that because I, I didn't I didn't I just partied because I wanted to get high and because I'm also a very sad man, you know, what I mean? <laughs> but, but uh, 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 there's a lot of people that that um, idolize, you know, their their rock star junkies, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. And I I wasn't one of those people. Like I wasn't the type of person that was like, "Oh fuck," you know. I want to be like John Lennon and David Bowie and like, you know, blah blah blah, and Lou Reed and all this stuff. I'm like, I just want to get high, dude. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But those, you know, I would say to the listeners: if you're if you're idols or junkies, you know, maybe you better like rethink, you know, that. Don't don't make that into a, a lifestyle. These some of these people are fucking hardcore, man. I am built like a tank and fucking am like a, a goddamn cockroach. It's a wonder that I'm not dead. I can eat anything off the ground. You know, I never fucking get sick. I can fucking play a hardcore show high out of my mind, drunk out of my mind. And I did that for, for decades. You know what I mean? And now I'm doing it sober and it's, it's the same thing, but it's just like, it's not for the weak of heart, you know. So if you're thinking that you're a badass and you can do what I I do and some of these other people that are now dead or like really fucked up or sober can do, not everybody can do it like that, you know? And it's it's out of vogue, you know. Yeah.
0: But they do have a way of it, it it's weird how music history has a way of glamorizing it. And even the most yeah. tragic stories, it has a way of turning into something romantic. Yeah with it too where like it it, you know like I I kind of thought you know being in the generation I was where everyone had read all the biographies everyone knew how all these stories play out and just to watch friends of mine kind of like you know get sort of lured in by the sort of rock and roll cliche fantasy of what it means to be successful in music and and just party yourself to death no not uh, judging people for doing what they do but at the same time there's definitely friends that didn't make it out well i mean
1: it's a very potent and powerful thing to have people going nuts you know clapping for you um i'll tell you one of the worst things for me and one of the 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 the, the, the greatest catalysts of of me like kind of like going to to the very brink of of death was when i would come home and in between tours and in between shows where it's like I've got this fucking enormous ego and nobody's clapping for me Mm -hmm. you know nobody wants to suck my dick nobody's clapping for me you know
0: boo-hoo yeah well and it's hard to turn it off right like that's even at the end of the night after the show like just that energy that like wash of people's like endorphins that you're taking in on stage when you go back to that hotel room it's a hard stop and you got to go to sleep because you got to do it all again the next day and it's 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 really hard to go to sleep after that.
1: Well, dude, I've done a lot of work on on trying to be like super transparent and you know, being my myself no matter, you know, what, you know, um I want to I want to be the same in the light as I am in the shadows so that I don't entertain that fucking dark side when nobody's around, I got to I got to act appropriately anyway you know what Mm. i mean Mm. and when people are around i gotta i gotta remain humble and uh you know just just do my job the the new the new rock star is a is a is a sober professional you know it's not as much fun but we go we you set them up we knock them down and we go to the next town and that's just the way it is you know what i mean we're professionals now you know
0: yeah, it's changed. There's definitely like a shift that's happened where you know, like you used to be able to be like Lou Reed. Well, not everyone was, yeah. but like there used to be Lou Reeds where you could be an asshole and you could kind of like be this just person that that people wanted to be around. And now it's like we we all got to be a little more like you're saying professional. Like we all got to like be nice people, be pleasant to be around because i we recognize this is a job a little bit more.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah.
0: And you don't get invited back when you're break busting up the the dressing
1: room and being a fucking asshole <laughs> yes you know uh
0: well this has been anything but a busted up dressing room and before i go though i wanted to talk to you about your new solo record uh what where are you kind of going with music these days outside of the circle jerks the very 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 polar opposite
1: <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, not to sound like an old man, but I'm a long game player, bro. You know what I mean? I want to, I'm never going to retire. I want to play music for the rest of my life. And so, you know, coming from my humble beginnings, I wanted to go back to the authentic place where I started when I was listening to guys like, you know, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, and, uh, you know, (laughs) Neil Young, and some of the, you know, people who could, the bones of their songs were so good that it could come off with just an acoustic guitar and a vocal. Um, And that's something that you've seen that those people have been able to carry through their entire lives. You know what I mean? Mm. And so I've seen so much violence. I've played so fast that it feels like you're, you're, you're on a rocket ship being, you know, like hanging on a rope outside of a rocket ship and loud, my ears ring, I gotta sleep with the fan on, um, you know, or some kind of white noise, or I go crazy. Um and, and it's like, dude, I'm playing the most tra- like, and because of my sobriety too, I will, I will factor that in. I'm playing some of the most like hardcore, transparent, sort of honest music, the kind of like stuff that I that I say in my songs, people will say it's depressing but I'll say it's uplifting because it's, it's courageous to to like actually tell the truth and say, Hey man, you know, maybe there are some, some, um, you know, feelings there and uh, you know, uncross my arms and not be so fucking tough and reveal some of these things that I, that I personally feel, you know, in the, in the hopes that it, it's therapeutic for me and it might be therapeutic to another person to hear that. Oh, Xander Schloss, you know, may suffer from depression sometimes or, you know, Xander Schloss has to be grateful, despite the fact that he's had some tough, you know, moments in his life, you know. Um, and, you know, the music is is gentle and it, it's it's beautiful and melodic and, you know, not I'm grateful for my day job with, with the Circle Jerks but there's very little that you can do melodically uh, outside of just hammering, you know, at, at those kind of tempos, you know what I mean? Mm. So there's a whole lot of nuance and there's a whole lot of subtlety and a whole lot of beauty in there. And I can go out there and play it alone, or I can, you know, incorporate some other musicians, which I do on the album. I recorded the album uh, to tape uh, with a, a guy named Gus Seifert who, who's playing with Roger Waters. He plays bass with Roger Waters now and has played with Nora Jones and the Black Keys and blah, blah, blah. And a couple of other guys, a guy on keyboard and a drummer. And we went in there and tracked to, to two inch tape, did everything live and not for the analog sound, but for the fact that we would limit our options, not like recording in the box um, and do a classic album where it's like, you learn the song, you do a couple of takes and you choose the best of one and two and maybe do a couple of like background vocals or a guitar solo overdub. And it's literally, it sounds like a classic album as a result of that. And I'm so proud of it, you know, because I've lived in a lot of fear, you know, to be honest. I don't want to sound like a pussy to your listeners, but it's very scary to to go out on your own. And like, you know, um, it it took me like, a long time to get the guts you know to um not be so precious about this stuff and just say okay here i am you know and i'm like no i'm a fucking 60 year old man and my very first solo record is coming out march 4th um we're starting pre-sales this friday and i could not be more proud you know what i mean because it's a beautiful record and it's, it's coming out on blind owl records and it uh, i've been putting out singles and videos they're on youtube uh, there's uh, one called my dear blue which is a song that that speaks to the fact that I'm, I'm i'm kind of like personifying depression and saying i don't i don't want you you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and the song called i have loved the story of my life is coming out i made a puppet video for that Oh, that's and this awesome. is going to be really incredible because this is coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, and it portrays me in five different iterations of my history. One, Kevin, the nerd in repo, man, there's a puppet that's dressed like Kevin, the nerd Two, Carl, the wiener man, three rockabilly, Latino rockabilly war uh, style Xander. When I played with Joe Strummer and then Punk Rock Xander, who played in the Weirdos and the Circle Jerks, and then of course your ruggedly handsome, bearded, long-haired uh, older narrator. Um, and so it's a story. It's a song about uh, you know being grateful in spite of some of these these difficult things that you've had to endure and that we all have to endure, like the death of our of family members and you know broken hearts and stuff like that. Um, but I thought I would demonstrate some of the high points of of my career rather than like making it an oppressing, you know, video um, and uh, just that, uh, you know, it's a song about gratitude.
0: Well, I think it's awesome like you're saying that, you know, there's a lot of armor behind volume and and distortion and stuff so like to strip that away and kind of be there. It takes a lot of guts, you know, and the fact that you're able to kind of hit this artistic epiphany and still have new artistic epiphanies is, is gotta be amazingly gratifying.
1: Well, I think it's hardcore. And the fact that it's like, I'm revealing these, these really tender feelings and daring people to call me a fucking pussy. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, I'm still fucking built like a tank and punk rock Xander revealing these tender feelings. I dare you to call me a fucking pussy. When you hear this record in fact if you uncross your arms and let down your guard you might just shed a little tear yourself tough guy
0: well i look forward to crying i'm i i openly can't wait to weep when i hear it yeah. um, i'm very excited and uh i lied before i let you go because it is a movie that is very near and dear to my heart as a film that i would rent very often as a young person do you have any stories or, or memories from tape heads that stands out to you <laughs>
1: yeah tape heads that's funny um well gosh you know um I i don't no it's weird you know because i probably should but i can't think of any offhand
0: no i i understand when you're living it it's hard to to piece it into to soundbite form. <laughs> well, you know, it's
1: amazing because the way that I conducted myself and how I jumped around from doing films and soundtracks and playing with various bands and, you know, uh, was literally like you'd have to be a detective to track my movement. Mm-hmm. And today it's all available, you know, on the worldwide web. And it's it's amazing, you know, it, it's just like, and, and like when I take a look back, you know, referring to, I have loved the story of my life. I've really loved the fact that all these things that I've, I've done had one thing in common and they were all, you know, critically received pretty well. I'm I'm in three films that are in the criterion collection and played on a lot of records and with a lot of bands that have been well, critic critically received, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've maintained my integrity throughout my whole life by, by choosing and, and sort of, you know, stumbling into some incredible projects, you know, with Joe and with Alex Cox and with circle jerks and, you
0: know, blah, blah, touchstone, blah. touchstone projects of people's lives. Like how many of these things, like, you know, how many kids rented these videos at video stores or, or, you know, heard these soundtracks or heard these records, you know, and it's just a, to do it in one field is impressive to be, to be able to do it in a couple different fields is is much more you know difficult so yeah more impressive
1: and i literally started out you know in in repo man letting people know that it's okay to be a poser and a nerd you yeah. know what i mean
0: yeah you invented there's, there's geek a place core. for you in the world you invented geek core with that role yeah i uh, don't you know, i'm just continuing that that whole thing it's uh, it's okay to be a nerd well, hopefully one day we can continue this. Uh, thank you so much, Xander, for coming on the show. Of course, Damien. Hey, could I get a screenshot of you? For I um... want to get a screenshot of you. That was my my hope, too. Thank you, Xander, for coming on the show. And you're right there. Xander will be back for part two at some point in the future. And check out Xander's solo record, Songs About Songs, uh, coming out. On um, the fourth, March fourth, uh, and also streaming songs. A bunch of the songs are now streaming, including "Dead Friend Letter." Uh, fantastic record, really check it out. Uh, all right, N- coming up later on uh, this week on this show right here. Uh, this is a, uh, we're going from strength to strength with this one. David Bazan will be on the show, and David Bazan is, of course, from the group Pedro the Lion. Uh, also performing under his own name. I've been a fan for a very long time and this is, this is an incredible conversation. I'm very excited for you to hear it. We go into a lot of music that I don't know much about and stuff that I've always wondered about. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to hear it. All right. That is that for the show. Remember as always black lives matter, the lives of indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence to- people of different faiths and just knock all this f- Nazi bullshit off, you know, cause we're talking about shit that's, that's just, these aren't political issues. These are basic human rights issues, you know? And I think the two get conflated sometimes and, you know, people have the right to just live their lives and be free from fear of violence and hatred. And, and yeah, just, yeah, just, you know, if there's organizations that are doing positive work, in this world that you feel you can support, do it, you know, lend your time, lend your money, lend your voice. If you lend money, if you haven't, uh, but just, you know, look, look around you and, and let's just try and make this world a little bit better for everyone. Speaking about making things better, try and create your own culture. Anyone can do this stuff. It doesn't have to be online. You know, you can make a fanzine, you can make a, a tape, you can make a record. I guess now you distribute it online. No, you can find record stores to do that too. And, you know, I I just feel like we can create our own culture. We can create our own, our our own world, uh, out there. And that's the best thing about punk is that you can do whatever you want within it, you know, and it makes you feel better. So maybe you'll feel better by doing so. Uh, speaking about feeling better, try meditating. I tried it and it, I didn't believe in that shit. And it really does work, you know? (laughs) People have professed this for thousands of years, but I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it at all. But my gosh, it can help. Slow things down, help you clear your mind, you know, relieve even headaches. And I know it sounds like I'm selling you some sort of miracle ointment, but I'm not. I'm just telling you to practice breathing. There's lots of places that you can do this online for free, you know. So if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you can have access to something that will, you know, teach you a little bit about. Trying to meditate. And I'm not an expert or anything. I'm just using a bullshit app. So I'm not pretending to, to know any great secret on this thing. Anyway, try it. Sign your organ donor cards. Cause by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. And it can give someone life. It literally can give someone life. You can give the gift of life as you die. Really morbid, but like, you know, kind of a positive way to go out. Uh, and I've seen it. I've seen it work. So Anyway. That's it. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. I love you.